0: So today's teaching is going to be from Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, and our local congregation, um, which I would love to be teaching at right now, but we're doing our part, our small part, to try to stifle uh, the virus that's going around, so um, we're just offering these online services for now. Um, hopefully we'll be back together in a few weeks. That's my prayer. Um, but in our local congregation, I've been teaching on Exodus 12, and I've been teaching on the Passover. I think I had gotten up to like four sermons on the Passover. And then in the last sermon that I taught here from my home, or from my barn, <laughs> which is where I'm at right now, um, I had taught on the second Passover to try to explain some of the things that we were, we were doing. So I want to get back to Exodus chapter 12, And I'm going to teach on verses 7 through 13 today. I don't have a fancy method of teaching. I just usually teach verse by verse and explain the verses as I go. But I would like to read Exodus 12, beginning at verse 1, and go through verse uh, 13. And then we'll backtrack to 7 through 13, verse by verse. So, Exodus 12, verse 1 says, Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be... The beginning of months for you, it is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's households, one animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month, and the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Now, I've taught on Exodus 11, 1, all the way through Exodus 12, verse 6, and you can actually watch those teachings on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, Ministers of the New Covenant. Today we're picking it up in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, They must take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the houses in which they eat them. And obviously, this is talking about the Passover animal, the sheep or the goat that was slaughtered or sacrificed for the Passover. The reason that the blood was to be placed on the doorpost, if we continue to read in chapter 12, was it was a distinguishing mark. I think we'll actually get to that in verse 13. It was a a distinguishing mark on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. So the, the upper post and the two side posts of the house. And the lamb's blood was a distinguishing mark so that when Yahweh passed over the houses, as he says that he would, he would not allow the destroyer, I think the Aramaic Targum says the destroying angel, to enter into the house and slay the firstborn male in that home so this was something that took place specifically at the very first Passover now a lot of people don't understand this but we slaughter a lamb for Passover and I know a lot of people have a problem with that and I have sermons on that explaining it why we do that and um, how that there's nothing wrong with doing that um, in this day and time um, but a lot of people get real edgy about that. Um, and they even get more edgy when they find out that I have always done this with my children. Um, we actually do put lamb's blood on our doorposts and our lentil. It's not because we think that Yahweh is still passing over homes or that the destroying angel is going to come in and slaughter our firstborn son. But we do it as an object lesson. We do it to remind the children how that the very first Passover took place. So we're going to find out as we go through these verses that Passover is a memorial. It's bringing something to remembrance. And I feel that when we start saying that, well, we don't have to do that part, or, well, we don't have to do that part. Well, we don't really have to worry about the shoes on the feet or the staff in the hand. Well, you don't really have to eat it in a hurry. I ah, don't worry about the lamb's blood. You strip, slowly strip away these object lessons Uh, Not just for the children, but also for the adults. And you forget how the very first Passover took place. But when you include all of these ordinances and statutes into the Passover, you remember not just by reading, but you remember by enacting, acting out that first Passover to the best of your ability. Obviously, none of us are without flaw. But we do our best to serve Yahweh um, in all of his commandments. Uh, So, yes, that's something we do. Um, And we teach our children, look, this is what was done that first Passover uh, that night. Verse 8 says, they are to eat the meat that night. And I talked about this in a previous sermon, how that I believe the Passover was slaughtered on the afternoon portion of the 14th day of Abib. And then was eaten that night, which I believe moved into the 15th day. The Passover was eaten, as we're going to see, with unleavened bread. And bitter herbs. The reason it was eaten with unleavened bread is the Passover meal was the meal that kickstarted or jumped off the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. So the meat was eaten that night. I believe that was the beginning of the fifteenth day of Abib, as I believe that all Sabbaths are observed from evening to evening, as Leviticus 23 verse I believe it's verse 32 says uh, Sabbaths plural, uh, both in the Hebrew text and also in the Septuagint. Um, A lot of English Bibles will say Sabbath singular, but the Hebrew and the Septuagint read the plural there. So, uh, they are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Um, The unleavened bread comes about because, as you see later in the chapter, the Israelites were thrust out of Egypt. Once Yahweh passed over the houses in the middle of the nighttime, and all the firstborn males in the land of Egypt died. Everyone that didn't have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and lintel died. Um, even, the, even the firstborn cattle. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on the throne all the way to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon or the servant girl grinding the meal at the millstone. Um, no matter highest in the land or lowest in the land or even animals, all of the firstborn males died. And there was a great cry in Egypt, such as never had been before and never will be again, and so there was fear that came upon uh, the Egyptians, and they were giving their, their goods, their silver and their gold goods and jewelry away to the Israelites. So they thrust them out, and they had to leave in a hurry. And um, Exodus chapter 12, at another place, talks about, uh, let me see if I can find it. Exodus 12, verse 33, talks about this, and this is in dealing with the unleavened bread said, Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, We're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. And then if you move down to verse 39, it says, The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves since it had no yeast. For when they had been driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared any provisions for themselves. And so that's the reason for the unleavened bread is it, it takes long. It, it's, they, didn't have, they didn't have bread machines, which even with a bread machine, you know, it might take a couple hours to make a loaf of bread or a few hours. They didn't have bread machines and then they have Feliceman's yeast packets that they could just throw in the bread machine to mix in with the dough. Um, it was a process of kneading, uh, letting the dough rise um, sometimes getting a, a starter yeast from the the air outside and placing your dough outside and, and letting the yeast spores from the air get mixed in with the dough letting that dough rise and then taking it back in and kneading it some more. It's a big long process to make a risen loaf of bread but you can make a, a flat bread a lot quicker. You can make it fast and so that was to be eaten with the lamb, and the lamb was to be roasted over fire. And it was also to be eaten with bitter herbs, uh, possibly to uh, later throughout the years remind the Israelites of the time of bitterness in the land of Egypt. Uh, Do not eat any of it raw, verse 9, or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire its head as well as its legs and inner organs. The King James there in verse 9 says, and pertinence thereof. Um, uh, uh, Some uh, translations I think might even translate it as the intestines. Later on, some commentators talk about that it was a Jewish tradition actually to remove the intestines and to wash them, clean them and wash them thoroughly and then place them back into the Passover lamb. Um, I don't think that that's what always talking about. I think that the HCSB gets it right here and that he's talking about the inner organs. I don't think he's talking about the guts of the animal, but the inner organs like the kidneys, the heart, uh, the liver, so forth and so on. And the animal was to be roasted whole. Um, let's see, its head and its legs, uh, roasted over fire. You were not to eat the animal raw and you are not to boil it in water. These are some of the other statutes. Verse 10, do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of it that does remain until morning. And so on on the surface level, these two commandments sound like they might be contradictory, but what Yahweh is saying is, as he said up beforehand in verse uh, 4, that if your household is too small for the whole animal that you are sacrificing the year old male, sheep or goat, then you invite your neighbors that serve Yahweh And they can eat the animal with you. Um, So what I think Yahweh is saying is do your best to eat all of the meat. Don't let any of the meat go to waste. But any part of it that does remain, any meat that does remain that you can't eat, you burn that up, obviously, along with the other remains of uh, the animal. That's verse 10. Uh, Verse 11. Here is how you must eat it. Dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is Yahweh's Passover. Here's how you must eat it. Dressed for travel. Literally, that means with your loins girded. Some translations say with a belt on your waist. Not an exactly good translation, but loins girded. And Back in the... Um, These times, the times of the Exodus, the Hebrews and and a lot of Middle Eastern people, the men especially would gird up their loins when they were going to have to run a long distance or go into battle. And what that meant is they would take their, their long robe that they had or their longer tunic that they had, usually from anywhere from the knee to the ankle. And they would, they would kind of gird that up around their waist to where it came up above their knee and then they would tie it up to where they could move and, and, and have a, a lot of flexibility. Um, some people even say they might have girded it up in between their legs, pulled it up, and then maybe tied it in a knot. So it was kind of like a, a pair of pantaloons or something like that. That was called girding up the loins. And, and what that signified was you were ready for battle or you were ready for travel. You were ready to, to move. You weren't um, somewhere relaxing or you weren't somewhere casual you were ready to move so dress for travel is is a good understanding of that but literally it's to, with your loins girded uh, your sandals on your feet obviously you're ready to go sandals are on the feet um, and your staff in your hand the staff was a, a staple of, of travel uh, for the for the Israelites back then A the staff was used uh, to to aid in walking Um, and also sometimes to ward off uh, predators or wild animals. Um, You are to eat it in a hurry, eat it in haste. Um, This is why I believe that the Israelites did not wait until morning in the sense of daylight or sunrise. Um, I believe they left in the middle of the night after Yahweh passed over the houses and the plague was finished there in the land of Egypt. There's another passage in here that talks about mourning, and I'll probably get to it, but let me just touch on it briefly. It is in verse, looking at my notes, it's it's in verse 20, 22. 22 says, Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lentil and the two doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out of the door of his house until morning. Now, in my early years of keeping the Passover, and remember, I believe in, Performing all of the statutes and ordinances to do an imitation of that very first Passover, so that when you're teaching your children how it was done, they they're not just listening to you tell them; they're actually enacting that Passover out. And so, we would ever where whatever house we took the Passover in, we would we would stay the night and we'd wake up at daylight the next morning, and then we would leave. And I would use this passage, and I would actually tell people part of the commandment is to stay in your house until the morning time. As I began to progress in my understanding, I, I, I never got to the point where I didn't obey that commandment, but I had a what I believe is a better understanding of that commandment in that the Israelites were eating the Passover meal at nighttime. They were dressed for travel, loins girded, sandals on the feet, staff in the hand, eating it in a hurry. And the reason was is because once Yahweh passed over the homes in the middle of the night, then after that they would be thrust out as verse 33 says the Egyptians pressured the people to send them out quickly and I believe they were released from from that bondage at least the beginning of that release took place on Passover night which I believe was was the 15th the the first night of unleavened bread that was in one sense of the Hebrew word boker or the English word morning that was early in the morning Um, the Hebrews used the word morning in this way The same way that we do now here in America. Um, Somebody may say, uh, did you get a lot of sleep last night, Matthew? And I may say, well, you know, no. I've been up since 3 o'clock this morning. Now obviously when I use the word morning, nobody looks at me like I'm dumb when I use it that way. They know that I'm using it in in another sense of the word, that I don't mean morning like at dawn or at sunrise. I mean early in the morning, uh, the last watch of the night, uh, so to speak. Um, The Hebrews used the word morning this way, I believe in this case, which makes much more sense as to why they were dressed for travel because once the middle of the night passed by and it was early in the morning, still dark outside, but early in the morning, they would have to be leaving Egypt. Um, I'm not going to go to these because I will in a later message, but um, in the book of Ruth, Ruth she got up from Boaz's feet early in the morning before anybody could see her. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, Yeshua, he would go out in the, while it was still dark early in the morning to pray. Um, the women arrived at the tomb in John, John's Gospel, I believe it's the 20th chapter. Uh, they arrived in the tomb early in the morning while it was yet dark, uh, that Gospel says. And then, of course, you have the uh, four watches of the night um, in regards to Roman time in the New Testament. and you have three watches of the night, I believe, um, in the Old Testament. And that last watch of the night is called the morning watch because it's early in the morning. So I think that's what it's saying when it says don't leave, let any of it remain until morning. It's talking about um, when, you, when you're leaving in the middle of the night, early in the morning, um, and burn up any part of it that does remain in, uh, until the morning. That's when the lamb is burnt, and then that's when the Israelites uh, were to get out of Dodge, so to speak. That makes sense with eating it in a hurry. Eating it fast doesn't make sense to eat it fast if you're going to be in the house all night and then at dawn or sunrise, then you finally leave. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, it is Yahweh's Passover. What is Yahweh's Passover? Sometimes we 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 call the passing over of Yahweh over the houses the Passover, and that's not wrong. But I think it is Yahweh's Passover is specifically in reference to the lamb. The lamb itself is the Passover. Um, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 5, it says, For the Messiah, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. In the Greek word there is uh, pasha. Um, it doesn't use a Greek word for lamb there because the, simply the word pasha or uh, the Hebrew word pesach automatically implies the, the lamb or the goat for the sacrifice. Uh, if you just back up a little bit to verse 8, Once again, let's focus on the word it is Yahweh's Passover in verse 11. Look at verse 8. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it. Eat what? The lamb. Verse 9. Do not eat any of it, the lamb, raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire its head as well as its legs. Verse 10. Do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of it that does remain until morning. Here is how you must eat it. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is Yahweh's Passover. The lamb itself was the Pesach or the Passover. Verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. This is is Yahweh still speaking to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Back in verse 1 he says that. I, speaking of Yahweh, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt both man and animal I am Yahweh I will execute judgments against all the Elohim of Egypt now this is an interesting point here and I don't have notes in front of me I'm, I'm doing all this off of my head and with a few notes that I have in my Bible Yahweh is going to pass through the land of Egypt he's going to execute judgments on all the gods or the Elohim of Egypt now This is one of those passages where I think that the word gods of Egypt or Elohim of Egypt, it has to be something more than just an idol. Now, I recognize that idols were representative of different heathen deities or different heathen Elohim. I believe that. I I, I understand that. And I believe that an idol is nothing. I mean, there's cases where idols got knocked over or beaten. I think about Jeremiah 10. It says that idols are like a scarecrow in a cucumber patch. They can't do evil and they can't do good. It's just an inanimate object. Inanimate objects um, are not uh, inherent sinfully or righteously. They're just an object. Okay, So I I recognize that. Um, But it doesn't make sense here for gods of Egypt to only be talking about idols. He's going to execute judgment on idols. You know, what what kind of power is that? Um, unless, unless there are deities, Elohim, gods, behind those idols that the Egyptians would bow down to worship and use as representatives of who they served. And I think that that's the case. And, and I'm of the persuasion that these are real gods, these are real Elohim, and they stem from certain bad angels or fallen angels that left their first habitation in heaven Uh, not all of the angels a lot of the angels stayed with Yahweh and are still with Yahweh to this day and still serving Him and doing what Yahweh would have them to do. But I believe that some of the angels fell from that first habitation and they became uh, I don't want to go into a whole lot of detail here and get on a, a, a rabbit trail but uh, they became uh, false gods, uh, demonic forces, uh, demonic activity, and powers um, in heaven and on the earth. Um, I don't believe that they're at the same level as Yahweh. And as we know in the book of Job, that even Satan himself um, must get permission from Yahweh uh, to do certain things. So um, I'm just saying that when it says that Yahweh is going to execute judgment on the gods of Egypt... I believe it's saying that Yahweh is going to show that he has more power than than the Elohim or the gods, the real gods that the Egyptians serve, the demonic powers and the demonic activities and forces. Um, hopefully I didn't get too far off on a rabbit trail with that. Um, verse 13 is our last verse for today. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. The blood on the houses where you are staying. The lintel, the doorposts, Yahweh says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood on the doorpost was a distinguishing mark. Now, I just mentioned earlier about how in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul says that the Messiah, our Pesach, our Pasha, Passover, has been sacrificed. And Yeshua is the antitypical lamb. It's not that he's a lamb with four legs and was sacrificed by a priest or anything like that. It's simply a word picture. It's an, it's an antitype. How that Yeshua is a fulfillment, he is a reality of the Pesach in the land of Egypt. And how that the blood of Yeshua is a distinguishing mark spiritually now for us, whereby Yahweh. Yahweh passes over us and judgment doesn't come upon us in in our home. Um, I think that that's beautiful when you understand the the, the type and the anti-type here in the scriptures. But this was the difference. Uh, Yahweh didn't peek through the windows or have the destroying angel peek through the windows and see who was an Israelite or an Egyptian or a heathen or a slave or um, a part of the mixed multitude or something like that. That, that. That had nothing to do uh, with Yahweh saving you or destroying you. What saved or destroyed you was one thing, the blood of the Lamb. And I'll close with that today is that uh, this is the natural Passover uh, and Yeshua the Messiah is our spiritual Passover. And that is the one thing that will cause you to be saved by Almighty Yahweh is if you have the distinguishing mark of the blood of Yeshua, which simply means that you believe in the work that Yeshua did for us in His life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of Yahweh. You have, if you believe that, you have that distinguishing mark on the spiritual doorpost and lentil of, uh, of your life it um, doesn't matter where you've come from it doesn't matter what your last name is it doesn't matter what color your skin is or your eyes color your eyes are uh, you are a person and uh, if you repent of your sins and trust in the means of salvation that Yahweh gave to us His Messiah His Anointed One His Son He will forgive you of all of your sins and transgressions. We learn so much when we study the Passover. Um, I don't believe that uh, the spiritual aspect negates the natural. I believe that Yeshua is our Passover, but I don't think that, that that negates the natural no more than spiritual rest negates us needing natural rest or no more than Yahweh being our spiritual father in heaven negates us having to honor our natural father. That's all for today. Um, Blessed new moon, first new moon of the year to everybody. I'll pick this up next week. What day of the week is it? I'm, I'm losing track with everything going on. I think it's Wednesday. And so next, uh, our next Sabbath on the lunar calendar um, will be on uh, next Wednesday. We'll go from Tuesday evening to Wednesday evening. But I'll have another teaching on uh, Wednesday evening and we'll just continue in Exodus chapter 12 verse by verse we'll pick it up in verse 14 Talk probably I think the next few verses are going to talk about um, removing the leaven and the seven days of unleavened bread and um, the memorial day of the feast, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread and things like that and then the seventh day and I believe a little bit differently than some people do on that but uh, anyhow we'll pick this back up next week I appreciate you for uh, watching and especially if you're part of the local congregation, um, I miss you. Brother Matthew loves you. You are in my mind always and in my prayers every day from the oldest down to the youngest. And I cannot wait to see everybody again and have a good time, fellowship, and worshiping Yahweh. So, may Yahweh be praised in the name of the Holy Child, Yeshua. Shalom. See you next time.